Hello, my name is Kevin Shields and welcome to the Cracked Real Podcast, episode 21. I've said, I think for the last three podcasts I've said it's been a long time, but this really has been a fucking long time. Uh, as always, uh, life and my intentions get in the way. Or, no, life gets in the way of my intentions, I should say. Because my plan when I did the last episode was I'm going to do one at the, the weekend and I'm going to do another one the week after and all this. Um, but I was just too fucked. And then... October kicked in. My my initial plan was to have an episode just before October to basically break down the whole horathon plan that I have, as well as talk about the actual IFI horathon, um, which went ahead online this year and was really successful, which is good because I mean festivals all over the world are fucking worried about what's going to happen, and really it seems in the broader picture cinemas are fucked. Um, as far as I know, the likes of Odeon and AMC, I think, they're all going bust. Um, which means the big cinemas over here and in England are going to go bust. I still stand by what I said before about how cinemas are going to become real event nights again. I've talked about the Stella Cinema in Rap Minds and how they're basically charging 20 quid a ticket. Or the whopping value of thirty nine ninety nine for two tickets. But their whole thing is you get a couch or a bed or whatever. You get a big pull-out sofa thing, basically. You get cocktails, blankets. It's ultra comfortable. It's a proper... You're not just going to the cinema, seeing a movie and going. You're going to see your favourites on the big screen in a sort of luxury way. And I think that's where the lighthouse and ifi are probably going to go as well i think it's to have regular festivals to have regular cinema events is a thing of the past at this stage not because they don't see hope of what a corona cure or anything like that and the chance of being able to be around people again but more so that online has proven that it is way stronger than anyone ever anticipated because, I mean, obviously online has always been handy. You've always had stuff gone straight to Netflix. There's always been arguments for the likes of Scorsese and Spielberg and all these about if Netflix should be eligible for Oscars and all this shit, which I believe they should be because a film's a fucking film. It doesn't matter how you see it. Um, well, it needs to be good quality, obviously. Like, it needs to be a decent film. But, I mean, like, with, with TVs now, I've been raving literally since the first podcast I ever did about getting this OLED TV. And literally everything I've watched on it since has just been mind-blowing. So it's like... You can still get that effect at home. Now, sound is the other thing. And actually, I was only talking to one of the lads about this recently. And I kind of want to plug this channel at the same time. There's a channel on YouTube called Pony Smasher. And I can't remember the guy's name. But he is the guy who made that Lights Out short film. It's about a minute long. And it was a fucking huge hit. Everyone loved it. And then he eventually was given money to make a feature film out of it, which was okay for people. Like, it, it did well. And then he did one of the Annabelle sequels, and then he went on to do Shazam, the DC film. So this chap's career just built up from a short film he did online. And what's interesting is he, he has a YouTube channel the way any typical YouTube video essayist would have, but he gives insights to the industry and his thoughts on, uh, uh, what are they called? Audience screenings and shit like that for, uh, why can't I think of the word? Test screenings and why he like what he likes and what he doesn't like about them and all these things it's always interesting but he was talking about sound and he made a point that i've always kind of taught this but it's it was never really put into words well in simple words i suppose but he just says that 
bad sound is always going to be worse than bad picture. And that's true. Because I've watched movies over the years where the, the picture quality has been fairly crap. But the sound is fine. And it's very handy to watch. Whereas something in good quality with bad sound I find completely unwatchable. Um, I remember before watching that movie Go which I absolutely love. And I don't know what was up with the disc. It was just fucked for whatever reason. I think I got the disc second hand. I think my brother had it before and I loved it. And then I said, oh, I, saw, I think I got it for two quid or something game. So I said, I'm going to grab that. And when I was trying to watch it, I was like, the sound was just really tinny and it was fucked up. Now, the lads I was watching, it didn't seem to bother them as much as it did me. I was fucking cringing in my seat the entire time, knowing they weren't getting the fucking proper experience that I fucking had when I first saw it. But it's true, bad sound is very detrimental and that's why i think a lot of people were upset with christopher nolan as well with tenet because undeniably i love the loudness of christopher nolan films i love how loud interstellar is because there's moments where it actually it does cover the dialogue but it's dialogue that isn't massively important it's kind of just more emotional dialogue and the music kind of adds to that whereas with tenet he's covering important dialogue which he thinks is under the the guise of mystery but i don't think so i think i think his head's a bit up his own arse with that. As much as I like Tenet, as much as I like the loudness, it it affects the movie here in a negative way. Uh, I am looking forward to watching it again, and I'm planning on getting the 4K, so at least at home I'll be able to really get like watch it properly and single out the sound if I need to. I was hoping that the, if, if he releases it on home media, it's going to be upgraded with proper sound, but he seems to stand by the fa- how fucking loud his movie is, so... It seems like it's going to be the same as it was in the cinema. But at least you'll have a subtitle option and whatever else. Um, but what was my point? I've gone off on about fucking three different tangents. My, my main point is sound is very important. And the reason I bring that up is because when you have a home cinema system. Like I'm only two thirds of the way there really. The last thing I need is a good sound setup. Because I just have a shitty sound bar. And sound bars aren't good. They're, they're gr- they are literally heaven if you just want a fucking basic TV setup. If you want a good cinema setup you need... 5 or 7.1 surround or Dolby Atmos or one of them and I, I I still as much research as I put into for the TV I didn't really put much research into the sound so my knowledge I'm not an audiophile basically I don't I don't know sound the way some people do some people are fucking wizards when it comes to sound and they can pick up the slightest fucking difference between two things I can pick up the obvious shit if it sounds tinny yeah I'm gonna know that it sounds a bit shite if it's a bit overly bassy or it something sounds wrong or out of sync yeah i can pick up on all that shit but this i i could be shown two clips where the sound sounds virtually identical to me but to someone else they'll go this one's wrong here's why so i need to either get help or figure out how to research it properly so i can get a proper sound setup once i have that then i can basically bunker myself in the house and never leave again especially with the amount of films that i've bought since the last episode i think the last episode i did must have been like 45 minutes just talking about the amount of Blu-rays I got. And I could probably do it again. And I still have a shitload more coming. So I will. I'll do a very brief rundown of them later. Because I always tend to fucking go off on tangents. Um, but what was my point? Yeah, so I, my, I was talking about the dangers. I suppose, well, not dangers, but the future of cinema. Um, which I've addressed a few times so far. But with more information as it goes on. Because at first it was more speculation. I just thought cinemas would be grand by fucking October. But... As we all fucking know, they're not. Um, we're currently in a lockdown in Ireland, and so is England. Um, not a real lockdown; like it's a it's a shit show lockdown, really. 
because um, it just seems like they were doing it for the sake to look like they were doing something and it's not really being adhered to the same way everything is already kind of set up in shops for protection and all this kind of shite uh, but cinemas have received a bit of a kicking from it as well and I know the likes of the, the Lighthouse and IFI have plans to reopen they're, they're planning to reopen in December but the thing is I think the mainstream cinema going audience is just not going to be there the same way um, particularly if you have to socially distance you're not going to get the atmosphere of a packed, packed screen you're going to have to have spaced out screenings anyway like you're not going to be able to have fucking your typical let's say a Harry Potter type film comes in you're not going to have every screen filled up with a because you're not going to get that many screens and <laughs> you're not going to have enough room and it's just uh, the whole thing's really going down the fucking drain and as I said because no one suspected how powerful online streaming could be um, and then again torrenting has just become fucking twice as big now particularly with the likes of fucking Mulan which they were looking for I think twenty nine ninety nine or something or no it was like $39 or something which comes to like 29 euro or something like that Um. And their excuse was that, oh yeah, that you'll likely have a whole family watching it. It's like, yeah, it's a lot of bullshit. No one's going to do that. Ended up being massively torrented anyway. And saying, what was the, there was some political thing about slaves or something in, in whatever region in China they shot the film or something like that. And there was a big controversy about it. So nothing was really going its way. But even still, it made a fucking fortune. And it did really well, even though it's meant to be bollocks. These things are still doing really fucking well, even if they're not that important. And... If you think about the likes of Netflix, more so Disney Plus, because that kind of was unleashed here just as lockdown kicked off. But the amount of people who must be fucking subscribing to that now is insane. And a Mandalorian is back now, so even more people are fucking subscribing to it. It's not really a case of, oh, does it have enough content that I like? Or, oh, once enough people subscribe to it, they're not going to make any more money. They are. Loads of people are subscribing more and more each time. And... All these streaming services are going to just be bigger and bigger and bigger. Cinemas, like I, like I said, I've made a few kind of observations already about where they might go. What I, what I really think is going to happen at this stage is, yeah, you're going to have boutique cinemas like the Stella. The Lighthouse is going to go down that same road and start doing um, kind of like screenings like that. Well, I mean, obviously Lighthouse has already done classic screenings, but they're going to make it a, a bigger deal now. It's probably going to cost more because they're going to need it to cost more because they're fucked otherwise. Um, and yeah it's a, it's a pretty fucking sad state of affairs but the, the reason I got onto that anyway was because I was talking about the IFI and how there was the worry about festivals festivals the world festivals fucking hell uh, festivals the world over were all worried about how the fuck they're going to achieve this because there was first of all distributors not giving stuff to festivals because they're like look if it's not going to screen in a cinema we're going to hang on to it and release it our own way Um. A big version, or what's the word, not version, a big example of that would be um, Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor, which uh, is fucking incredible, by the way. It's easily one of the best of the year for me, um, which I'll talk about later on, because I'm going to talk about some new stuff. Uh, what else? It's currently only av- basically available digitally now, and it comes digitally to UK and Ireland at the end of this month, but it's available on American services if you if you know your way around them. Um but the whole thing was Signature Entertainment are looking after the UK release of that. And I know there was festivals over here and in in the UK who were like, we want to show this movie. It's a fucking highly anticipated big movie. We want to see it. And they just weren't even responding to them. They were just like, no, we're not going to give it to you because it's not going to be in a cinema. There's no point. We can just release it online ourselves. There's no point 
in doing it that way. So festivals were really, really scraping together to get something to show. And uh, I'm happy to report that Horathon managed to fucking scrape together a decent selection and were able to show it and with a really good response as well. Because that was over that weekend where I think a lot of people... Was that the bank holiday Monday weekend? I think it was. So people had loads of extra time. They are at home anyway. A lot of people were laid off at this point because it was just at the start of the new lockdown. So there was a million reasons why it was going to work out well for people staying at home. Um, and it did, so I'm glad for that. But when I mention Horathon, that's more my own personal Horathon, where my goal every October, well, for the last couple of years anyway, my initial goal was to just do a movie night in October. And I thought, well, I do that anyway. So there's nothing really special about that. So I said... I'm going to do 62 movies, which is two movies a night in October. And I did that, and that was fine. So I was like, all right, next year I'm going to go for 100. And that was two years ago, and I got as far as 82. And that includes going to the Horathon Festival, where I got to see a shitload of them. So I was pretty happy with that, but I said, all right, next year I want to do it. So last year I managed to do 104 movies. And I thought, okay, that's exactly what I want to do. Now here's the difference. What is the difference? But here's the thing about those two years is that I wasn't working at that stage. So I had all the time in the world to fucking watch these movies. But now I'm working full time, so it's a case of how am I going to fit 100 movies in a month while working full time? And the answer is I didn't. But I got as far as 74, which I'm pretty fucking happy with, considering if there, was, if there wasn't a lockdown, I probably wouldn't have been able to do that because there was just too much fucking... There'd be too much shit to do in normal life. But... Once I'm home from work, there's nothing else to do except sit around. So, fuck it, I may as well catch up on a lot of movies. Um, but the thing is, because I was sort of betting to doing that, and I was writing again in September. I mentioned before I'm doing a novel, but I'll, I'm not going to really get into that until I have mo- something more substantial with it. But I'm doing that. So, between that and the whole horathon, and then the start of this month, I was just blown out by that. And, again, working. So, I was like, I need to get a fucking podcast in. So, here it is. Um... What to talk about, I don't even fucking know. There's been so much and so little happening at once with the fucking film industry. Lots going to Netflix, lots going to Prime. Uh, a random Borat movie made it to fucking Prime, which uh, I will talk about as well. And I do. I was running through a few ideas I have. Um, I don't. I wouldn't consider this podcast limited. I can kind of talk about whatever the fuck I want. I do ninety nine point nine percent of the time talking about movies. I want to talk about games more and stuff as well and I mentioned music but I, I'm terrible at talking about music I'll just say oh I think this is good I don't I don't really know how to talk in depth about movie or sorry about music the way some people do some people know how to fucking break down songs and transitions and all the stuff they like about it I can just go that sounds savage and then the part that it turns into here sounds savage and that's about as far as I can go so I do want to talk about it but I'd rather talk about a subject of music with someone that I can kind of sing what he didn't actually talk about rather than just reviewing an album let's say because I'm shit at that um, but I do have some ideas because I was thinking really the Crack Trail podcast is mostly just me talking bollocks I mean I've done 20 episodes now several fucking hours uh, of just shit talk but I've not really branched off into anything really special I mean obviously I've done the Death Wish, spe- Death Wish special where I talked about the five Death Wish movies and the Bruce Willis sequel, or what do you call it, remake. Um, and I've obviously I've done some list episodes where I talk about top fucking movies of the year and things like that, which I do. I've loads more of them planned. 
Um, I'm going to probably whittle it down to like maybe 10 or 20 movies. So Because if I'm doing 100, I'm just going to be fucking here for 8 hours again or however long it took. Um, but I have an idea for sort of sister podcasts that I want to do. Because I think as far as I know, through the podcasts... Um, what's the word? Source is the word in my head, but it's not the word. Platform? Supplier? Basically, whoever is making it possible for me to do the podcast <laughs> which is podbean i can't think of their name but or the name of the word i'm trying to fucking think of but they they're basically the outlet i have to do my podcast but they offer several podcasts once you have a subscription so i've paid my subscription at the start of the year and i can do as many podcasts as i want so what i'm thinking of doing is doing some side podcasts with this one where one of them will be i want to have a guest for each of them as well if i'm just doing like i if i'm going to be on my own i may as well just do a podcast on my own these are side podcasts that will require a guest now i still see this is the annoying thing when i started this podcast i talked about guests pretty frequently at the start and how i wanted to get them but like i've not had a real chance to do it because there's been constant lockdowns you can't really have people in the house in the same way i i need a laptop if i'm gonna fucking move around i could do fucking plenty of them then but there's just a lot of barriers at the moment in regards to having guests as much as I want to have them. But my ideas will require guests. So I have one where it'd be me and a guest where we might pick a film each or two films each that need, that I haven't seen that they'll pick for me and that they haven't seen that I have. And we watch them and then we come on and we talk about them and I kind of get their opinion on it. And I have to know they haven't seen it or maybe not even heard of it and vice versa. Um, As well as do ones where like I might find a film that we both love but haven't seen in a long time or could even have seen it a lot but talk about why they hold up or how they hold up uh i'd almost prefer to watch something i hadn't seen in a long time so jeez i can't even think offhand i've kind of <laughs> revisited so much stuff that i haven't seen in fucking years um only recently but i suppose like action films from my childhood rush hour or something like that. i haven't watched rush hour in fucking years but i watched rush hour with whoever this is or they watch it in their own time as well and we come on and we talk about does it still hold up what doesn't hold up about it what does hold up about it kind of break them down that way um and i had a few others i had them written down <laughs> they're just somewhere buried in my fucking phone but i have a lot of ideas for stuff i want to do but like i said it kind of feels not necessarily aimless but a bit messy to just have them all here now with this particular uh podcast i still plan to have guests and we'll just have people just talking about movies in general they could even talk about a few ideas like but it, when it comes to those other two ideas they're very specific they're basically a set of ground rules this podcast doesn't really have rules really i mean if i have someone on we could talk about fucking movies and end up talking about fucking comedy for the whole hour and it not doesn't really turn into anything to do with movies so it's a bit more free in that sense but if I'm having someone on for the other podcast where we're reviewing an old film or we're each giving each other a movie to talk about, that'll be specific set rules for that. So they could be on for both. I could do an episode with someone where we're just talking shite for an hour and then another episode where we're just talking about the specific movie. So I, I am planning to do that, but it's just... There's a lot of barriers at the moment. And some people are doing it through Skype, which I have, or Skype or Zoom or whatever the fuck. I have considered that because... I've seen that it can work for people. Like my friend Al Orn, his podcast is doing brilliantly now. We even had fucking Michael Bisping on there recently. And he does it through Zoom. And he, with that ability, or Skype, one of them, with that ability, he's able to contact basically any guest 
and have them on and it works fantastically I'm just such a fucking stickler for sound even though I said I'm not really an audiophile I I'd hate for it to sound muffled or delayed because like I said I've done podcasts where I've been through Skype and the delay can be a bit jarring at times especially if you can't see each other it just makes things a bit poxy whereas if it's two people talking in person it's it's much more natural much more free-flowing that's what I'm fucking hoping to do but as I said it's been a long time a lot has happened we've lost the likes of Sean Connery absolute heroes Owlad cinema heroes like himself um, a lot of comedians too I, I, again I should have made a list of all the fucking celebrities <laughs> that have uh, unfortunately passed the last two months at least two months almost exactly two months or just over two months uh, since I've fucking released a podcast and I can't think of much in the industry that's happened actually I fucking can I talked about this before and this is just another excuse for me to plug buying physical media and having it for real in your house uh, I have a post here because I took a screenshot of it I found it so fucking deplorable but yeah it was, it was a, an article headline that says Amazon argues users don't actually own purchased Prime Video content now I've said this before that you're kind of only renting your movies if you have Netflix, yeah, you're like, oh, I have all the seasons of Breaking Bad or whatever. Or Mad Men, which Mad Men was on Netflix for years and now it's gone. It's on Prime now. So if you were stuck with Netflix, you're like, okay, that show I love that I want to revisit now, I can't. Less I buy it or fucking go and get Prime. So you're really only renting all these shows. That's just the way it is. That's a fact. But when it comes to digital libraries, now obviously you had the, the Ultraviolet, which died out on its arse. But digital copies in general the way they used to do it, i remember when i had a pineapple express dvd it came with a digital copy and you basically put the disc in and you download the file to your computer and, and it's like torrenting it off a disc and it's still shit quality as well it's not that good it's like a bad dvd rip but at least you had it on your computer you can still lose it but you still had it on your computer simple as that whereas digital purchases now are through online libraries and Amazon have argued that you're only buying a license. So say movies that go for rent on Amazon or to buy. So I think it's rent is like three ninety nine, but to buy it it's like ten ninety nine. That's an an average basic for some sort of movie. If you pay the ten ninety nine, then you don't have it for just the forty eight hours if you rent it. You have it. It it seems like it's yours. You've paid full price for it, even though it's probably cheaper to buy the fucking disc. And now. If they lose the license to it or if they decide they don't want you to have it, it's gone. You don't have it then. Simple as that. You pay for that, you no, lo- no longer have it. And I doubt the scabby cunts over there are going to fucking refund you for it. Not a hope. So, it's a shit show. It's a shit show that they've admitted that. They basically said, oh yeah, you don't own that. The fact anyone would still buy something digitally is fucking beyond me. Games are the only thing I buy digitally on the playstation store and even then i'm a bit fucking weary of it it just happens that i bought some games for like seven quid that are still 40 quid in the shops so it is a bit more appealing to pay that and i'll play through it and probably a lot of the games i get i might not play again anything i really want i buy physically like when cyberpunk comes out i'm buying that physically obviously that was delayed again that was supposed to be out before but it's delayed now till december um and ghost of tashima i'm gonna buy that physically I'm going to buy... I just bought Doom Eternal. 
because I'm finishing the original Doom now and I'm, I want the new one. And I was looking at it on the PlayStation Store and I was looking at it I was like, I'd rather actually physically own this. Things I really want, I want to own for real. And probably down the line, even though I've got Doom digitally, the first one, if I saw that going somewhere reasonably cheap, I'd probably pick it up. I'd like to have the two of them together in a collection. And I think it's the best way to have it because then I actually have them. If for some reason Sony goes fucky or my account goes shit, I could lose all them games and all my saves. Whereas if I have them physically, I can just create a new one. Angrily, but I'll still have a new one and I'll still have my games. They're dead to the world otherwise. Plus, the PlayStation Plus games that I get, I think it's, what did I pay, 48 quid or something because I got it cheap for the, the yearly subscription. So all these games I got for free on PlayStation Plus. Some Savage games, some games I really like and that I want to play. If I don't upgrade again next year, I have no access to them until I buy it again. So essentially I am renting those games. It's very good value. It's 40 quid and I get a fucking two or three games a month. And they're substantial good quality games most of the time. But it's a case of I don't really own them. And I never will. Unless I go fucking buy them. Or less. Less or less. I don't know. Unless I fucking go buy them. And that's insane that people are, are happy about this. And the fact that they're pushing a new ps5 and it costs an extra 100 quid for a disc drive which is fucking ludicrous anyway but when i get it which is not going to be till like mid next year because I, I don't need it yet i've so much shit to play on the ps4 already there's zero point in me throwing money away on a ps5 and then not getting to play all those ps4 games so i'm going to get through all that shit let some actual games come out on the ps5 instead of just some upgrades and some fucking just basic here's how good our graphics are but the game is shit games to come out i'm gonna wait till it becomes much more interesting with with better games and very probably uh, a less shit design i don't really like the look of the ps5 um i am interested in the new xbox as well though and i it's a rare time in my life where i've wanted both i never really had much interest in a ps3 i've always liked the 360 when the Xbox One and PS4 came out, I was like, PS4 all the way, I don't give a shit about the Xbox One. But now they're both so interesting that I kind of want both of them. But, oh, I don't know when the fuck that's going to happen. Um, It will be sometime mid next year. I want all the kinks and shit ironed out now before I even fucking consider looking at them. Um, But yeah, like when it comes to games and same with physical media with movies, it, it's all the one. And actually owning a movie is quite satisfying because it's mine and nobody can take that from me uh, unless they break in but then i don't know i'll kill them but when it comes to games it's a different story music as well i'm someone actually i, I remembered this only recently because I, I remember being very satisfying is i was talking about buying a movie and someone was kind of looking at me like i was a fucking idiot and I was like, oh, why the fuck are you buying that? Like, you can just download it or you can just fucking use Netflix or whatever. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they started going on then about vinyls and saying, oh, yeah, I only collect vinyl and blah, blah. And I, I was just waiting because I had this lined up and I said, why do you collect vinyl? And they obviously just didn't remember the conversation we had previous about Blu-rays, but they just said, oh, it's better sound off it. Uh, I like to have the artwork and blah, blah. I said, that's exactly why I fucking collect movies. And then they were just forced to shut up and i just felt it felt delicious to fucking do that um did i talk about this before i, I probably did I've, I've repeated myself i could nearly do a compilation podcast of me repeating myself 
because I seem to just have a, a, a crippling habit of doing that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to just run through very, very quickly everything I watched in October because October was just my horror month. Um, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna even explain what the plots of the movies are because I would literally be here all fucking day. Um, maybe just the tone of the movie or whatever. But from the first of October, I think the, on the first because I counted from that midnight, so that was a Wednesday, I think. So midnight Wednesday is when it all kicked off, and I started with the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I saw years ago, and I remember not really enjoying it much. I enjoyed it a lot more now. Then I watched Ari Aster's short film, The Strange Thing About the Johnsons, which should have been... I, I can't tell whether it wanted to be really funny or really fucked up. It's kind of both, but it's I, I just found it really funny. Uh, I watched Slinger, which is terrible. It's fucking... It's essentially the original version of Cyborg that Abra Pion put together uh, from old footage he had, and it's, it's unwatchably bad. Uh, Cyborg's shit anyway, but fucking hell. Uh, just before dawn it's a slasher movie considered a classic did nothing for me i think it had some good ideas at the start and it just kind of it's just boring it's constantly around the woods for ages i revisited Candyman because i'd gone on time and time again on this podcast about how i was trying to get that arrow version of Candyman that had the uk cut on it the much bloodier uncut version and i want to say much bloodier it's literally one small scene but the fucking difference it makes is insane uh, and it's just a class scene anyway. But I rewatched that. I got the Screen Factory version, which has that cut, and it's fucking class. I've enjoyed, I've, the more I think about Candyman and go back to it, the more I like it. When I first watched it, I thought it was good. I didn't love it, but the more I think about it, the more I like it. Followed that up with Candyman Farewell to the Flesh, which is a sequel, and that was shite. It, it did nothing for me. It, it kind of killed the, the atmosphere of the first one. There's some smart ideas in it, but it's uh, it just. I don't know. I think uh, they could have done a better job with it. And even showing how Candyman becomes Candyman was just so over the top and silly. It's like you could have made that really effective and shocking, but it's just it was like watching a fucking shite uh, one of those Western city plays or Western town plays where like you're all tourists and they just have like a fake gunfight in front of you. It had that atmosphere. It was just cheap and shite. Uh, I watched Silent Rage, which I thought was shit as well. Uh, it's a Chuck Norris horror film where this guy's basically being topped up with this superpower. To fucking go kill people and Chuck Norris has to fight him, which on paper sounds amazing, and it wasn't. It was fucking boring. Uh, to cleanse myself of that, I watched a much better reanimation film called Reanimator, which was one of my favorites anyway. But I, one of the lads hadn't seen it, so I said I have to fucking try this on because it's amazing. Then I watched Savage, which er, Savaged, which is a rape revenge movie where the spirit of an ancient Indian war goddess is thrown into some girl who's just been raped and killed and she goes on a rampage killing him and it's a very fun idea that just doesn't work at all which shitty cgi all the way through um i revisited flatliners which i absolutely love fucking kevin bacon um what's his face Kiefer sutherland and it's one of the baldwins in it i think daniel baldwin or one of the baldwins i can't remember and uh what's his fucking name or her name julia roberts and uh, it's about these college students who can flatline themselves and bring themselves back from essentially the dead and might bring something sinister with them. And it's really fucking good. It's really well made, really nice looking. Uh, it does hold up. I wasn't sure how it would because I loved it when I was younger, but it, it does. And Josh Schumacher had a fucking great eye. And I think he died recently, so rest in peace him. Unless I'm wrong. Uh, Birkenhair is one I saw in the cinema when it came out and I got it cheap and deal, so I watched it again. And it's 
a lot of fun still. It's quite enjoyable. Um, it's not a masterpiece. There are moments where it's not as funny as it thinks it is. But when it's funny, it is quite funny. Um, I watched Dark Water, which I'd wanted to see for years. A Japanese really somber drama nearly with horror elements in it. I really enjoyed that. Life Force, I've had the ear burnt off me for ages by a lot of people saying you need to watch Life Force, it's fucking bananas. So I finally did and they were right, it is nuts. Um, kind of badly advertised though, it was it was bad, not, not by these people, but I had heard by several sources before that it's essentially lesbian space vampires. But that's not what it is really. There's a lot of space vampirism uh, on future war-torn England. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't have the same ring to it as I expected. But it, it was still extremely enjoyable. Really good special effects. Uh, it's Toby Hooper, so what can you expect? And you have Patrick Stewart in there as well. Um, where am I going now? The Gate was a fucking great surprise for me. That was one that I would have loved to have seen when I was younger, and I I want to impart on my nieces and nephews eventually. Um, because it's just so enjoyable. It's the perfect family kind of horror movie. That's spooky enough that it will scare them, but not enough that it'll fucking scare them for life, and just generally enjoyable. It has a that, that same sort of fucking Goonies esque sort of burbsy atmosphere, which would be really fun for kids. I think uh, the Dawn of the Dead remake hadn't seen it in a long time. I got that two K scan from what's it called Screen Factory, and it still looks great. It's fucking top class action horror film. Um, I caught up on the rest of the Joe Begos stuff, so I watched Almost Human and followed that up with The Mind's Eye. And Almost Human, uh, I, I remember started last year, I never finished it, so I finally watched it again. And it's really solid. Um, it's very, it's pennies cheap, like it's, it's as cheap as you can get. It's clearly a guy with a lot of vision who has inspiration from the likes of The Thing and sort of body snatcher stuff. And it's really, like the acting's not great, it's not exactly well shot. But it's it's more the uh, the enthusiasm there that I like about it, and it's really gory. But it's kind of it's like the stuff I imagined doing when I was younger, but someone doing it re- like much better than I could have done when I was younger. As a movie, yeah, it's it's by the numbers. It's not exactly great, but it's it's I I like the uh, what's the word the ambition. The mind's eye is twice the ambition, twice the effects, and it's way better made. It's still not perfect, but it's a fucking very solid scanner sequel that w- w- replaces the shit turd on which I'll get to, um, and it's just really solid. Uh, I was I was quite happy with how he uh, he pulled that one off. Again, you can see his vision. The problem that I have with Joe Begos though is, even though I've actually enjoyed all his films, uh, Bliss being my favorite of the bunch, he's more egregious than Tarantino when it comes to his influence like Tarantino will take influence from a lot of stuff but he'll make the plot his own he might have a scene that he lifted from a different movie but the plot is always his own whereas these are basically remakes of his favourite movies done his own way which again is fine as an entertainment thing but I'd love to see him just let loose with a completely original idea I think that'd be deadly Um, anyway I followed that up with Sleepy Hollow which I hadn't seen for years uh, the Blu-ray I got the new anniversary edition even though it's the disc from fucking 20 years ago because it was advertising Blu-ray like it was fucking amazing oh not 20 years ago you know what I mean um, still holds up really well made really enjoyable uh, 2001 Maniacs I thought was a piece of shit I'd wanted to see it for years I'd seen a couple of moments from it and how mad and gory it was and Lin Shay being mad as fuck as usual and what's his face Robert Englund looked like he was chewing the scenery which he was but the film was a bit shite 
Uh, I'm Madman. Holy fuck. This is one of the worst films I watched that month. It was absolutely appallingly shit. Like a garbage TV movie. With abysmal acting. It reminded me of that movie Star Time. Which I watched a couple of years ago. And I thought that was shit as well. It just has a cheap, ugly, uncomfortable atmosphere. But not in a good horror way. Just in a, this movie's bad like kind of way. Like Evil Ed. That movie Evil Ed. Holy fuck. I hate it. Lots of people seem to like it because it's really gory. It's a big splatter movie. I think it's almost unwatchably bad. And the atmosphere in it is just so crap. It puts me off it. Um, this had a similar thing. And I was disappointed because this is the same guy who did The Gate. So I thought this guy must be just one of these hidden gem types. No, The Gate was a, a fluke. That's brilliant. This is dog shit. Um, to cleanse my mind of that, I rewatched The Lighthouse, which is fucking incredible. And uh, almost better on a second watch. And I, I actually feel shit faced when I watch it. Uh, I rewatched a Serbian film mostly because someone in work really wanted to see it, so I said I'll watch it as well, and was just texting basically saying what do you think of this, and they were horrified, which is great. Um, but it still it still holds up. I think it is. It's a really well made film. It's a grim, fucked up thriller. It's in ways though so over the top and so fucked up that it kind of loses effect. Like I've seen drama movies, like that movie Ned's. Um, I need to say Ray Winston because the kid in it looks exactly like Ray Winston but it's uh, Peter Mullen did it and there's a part in that film where someone gets basically made disabled with a concrete slab and it's fucking horrendous but it's it's not gratuitous it's not over the top but it had a much more horrific effect on me because it seems so realistic and not over the top whereas Serbian film obviously has literally every fucked up thing you could ever imagine in it and but it's so over the top and so crazy that it, it doesn't have that effect it's kind of like oh that's really fucked up that's all you really get from it it doesn't linger with you it's not horrifying in that way at least not what they thought they were going for because i know there's like this big political thing behind it as well but it, it's a lot of fun it's really fucked up it's more of a fucked up with a lot of beers kind of movie rather than ruin your life fucked up um but it's still worth watching uh fucking hell, I need to fly through these now because <laughs> I know I'm going to get caught fucking talking about these movies even longer uh, ICU is one I missed at last year's uh, horathon because I was cripplingly hung over puking into a McDonald's toilet um, and I eventually arrived and I was about 35 minutes late for the film I was like oh, I'm not fucking going in and I'm glad I didn't because so many twists and turns throughout this movie that if I had gone in even a minute late that would have fucked up the whole thing um, really solid though it's on Netflix and Arrow released it but I finally got to cut up and watch it Uh I'm not going to say anything about it. I, like I said, I don't even want to talk about it, most of these movies anyway, but this one is a movie where the less you know, the better. Uh, I got to finally watch Bong Joon-ho's The Host. I'd seen about half an hour of it years ago uh, when dodgy boxes were a big thing, and I was like, what the fuck is going on in this film? Uh, but I finally got to watch it properly, and as you'd expect, it's fucking brilliant. He, he somehow weaves horror and melodrama in such a way that it works brilliantly. Um... Follow that up with The Wolf of Snow Hollow, uh, which is Jim Cummings' sophomore film. Um, I thought Thunder Road is one of the best films that came out that decade. It's absolutely fucking amazing, and he's fantastic in it. This one, he decides to go for a sort of a werewolf tale in a small, like, snowy town in, like, North Mid-America kind of area. I'm not sure where the fuck it is. Robert Forster's in it as well. It was his last role, and obviously brilliant. Um, I thought this was good. I didn't love it. I, th- I think there's some really good stuff in it but it's a bit all over the shop and the comedy feels a bit more forced where it was really natural in Thunder Road this feels like they have a horror story and they're kind of throwing the comedy in where they can but overall I enjoy it um, 
Books of Blood, which is a Clive Barker adaptation uh, with some new stories thrown into it. Uh, I think it was made for Hulu. It's absolutely shit, and uh, I don't recommend it to anyone. Pulse is an 80s horror involving like an electric possessed pulse, and there's some really clever, smart ideas in it, but it, it falls apart after about 20 minutes, and it just becomes a fucking slog to get through. I then caught up, because I still haven't seen all the Guillermo del Toro's movies, but I finally watched Mimic, which... Uh, the director's cut, the proper version of it, which I can fully see why he wasn't enjoying himself making it with the amount of studio stuff that's kind of put in there. But it's also, you don't get a lot of studio movies like that. It's really fucking solid, tons of practical effects and just very entertaining all the way through. A good cast as well. I rewatched Seven because Seven is just perfect and I'm still willing to argue it's the best ending put to film. If someone wants to argue that with me, please try and fail. Um, I watched Venom. Not the shitty Venom with fucking Tom Hardy, but this is... It's hard to even call it a horror film. It's considered a horror film, but really it's a regular crime film. But it's Oliver Reed and Klaus Ginski are basically holed up in this house in England with a, a kidnapped child. Uh, but there's also deadly venomous, a deadly venomous snake going around the house as well that they have to evade while in the middle of a police sting shootout, whatever the fuck it is, or what's it called? Hostage situation. Uh... Very bizarre, very enjoyable though. It's really solid crime film. Oliver Reed has a great moustache in it as well, so that's more than enough reason to watch it. And he's a mean fucker. Uh, Return to Horror High. I got the Blu-ray there from the 88 sale. I think it was like three quid or something. Um, I didn't love it. I, it kind of it, it was really pushing the fact that George Clooney's in it. Um, he uh, it was one of his first roles, but I thought like he was gonna be the lead in it, but he's he's not. He's one of these. He was in the films that were given top billing to get a bit of a sell or a sale with it, but he he's literally in it for about five minutes at the start, if even. Um, and it's a smart idea. It, it it reminded me of April Fool's Day, which is a brilliant horror film, uh, and really clever. This tries to go somewhere similar, which if you've seen April Fool's Day, it's probably a spoiler. But uh, a lot of people have compared this to Scream, saying it's what Scream achieved, but several years earlier, seven or how many nine years earlier um and i get what they mean They're, they they really break down indie horror productions and how it's like oh we need more tits in this scene we need more blood in this scene and whatever like it's kind of you can see how they're doing it there's a guy in it who's the producer of the the movie they're making within the movie and it's the guy who does the voice of i can't think of his name now roger myers jr from the simpsons so every line he had had me pissing myself laughing he's great great in it um not a brilliant film, but it's worth a look if you if you want to see just kind of an 80s horror that's a bit more self-aware than the, the typical ones. Um, after that, I watched The Axiom, which was at Horathon a few years ago, and it was on Prime, and I finally watched it, and it was fucking shite. So I uh, wouldn't recommend that one at all. It just tries to... It, ugh, watch fucking The Ritual instead. It, that's a, a better version of what that attempted. Um... After that, I watched Coco Di Coco Da, which is a Swedish. Is it Swedish? I can't remember. It's Scandinavian anyway. And this was fucking brilliant. This is one of the most unnerving, uncomfortable fucking horror films I've watched in ages. And I was practically shouting at the screen several times trying to just intervene in the things that were happening. Uh, so it's a very frustrating watch, but in a good way. And I won't say anything about it. It's, it's very bizarre, but it's brilliant. Uh, American Gothic, I didn't think much of that. Um, 
actually I didn't really like it much at all now that I think about it there's a couple of good ideas and a good bits but it's a, it's a fucking mess of a film uh, The Manson Family I thought was great way better than I had any uh, expectation of because it tends to be uh, what goes on with the whole Sharon Tate thing in particular is always exploited and that's why Once More Time in Hollywood was so, done so well to fucking basically reclaim some of that fucking uh, justice but it's um because like most films would tackle it in such a fucking way where it's just exploitative and horrible whereas this was like here's what Sharon Tate was like here's what she's normally like and it just did a much better job rather than just oh yeah she was a murder victim from these cons. but what's interesting about this is it's Jim Van Beber who did Debbie at Dawn which I love but this he made it over several years it's shot on grimy video and 16mm and he does a lot of stuff or sorry 8mm and 16mm and uh what they did was they basically just showed exactly what these types of fucking idiots are like. The orgies they're into, the drugs they're into. Just crazy fucking scumbag hippies that are worthless assholes that were only feared because they were so stupid. And uh, while it does graphically show the whole Sharon Tate murder, it it fits the atmosphere of the film. The film doesn't look like it's trying to just shock you going, oh, look what we're doing. It's... It's basically giving you a real insight of like these are this is what these fucking idiots were like and what they believed and how horrific the stuff was. So I actually think it was way smarter than it had any right being by being so grisly. Um, after that, I watched Forbidden Planet, which is one of the premium collection Blu-rays that I got, and that was fucking brilliant. That was an old school fifties sci-fi. I think it's fifties, yeah, mid fifties sci-fi uh, with a horror element in it, and it's just so well written, so enjoyable. Leslie Nielsen's class in it, and it's just great stuff if you want a really old school oh it's also a huge influence on star trek this like without without that film star trek probably wouldn't have uh most of the the ideas that it had because this this even has like the teleporter pauses like this where it all originated um i watched dark man then which i saw years and years ago and it didn't do much for me at all i think i was expecting something darker but i got goofy sam raimi superhero shit um so on a rewatch that fucking landed way better um, and I'm glad it did because I, there was parts of it even as I was watching I was like oh, I remember this bit being really good <laughs> but I think it was just the, the whole atmosphere threw me off before but it actually is a lot of fun um, I then did a double well you call it a double bill I watched Saw and Saw so I watched Saw which is I mean it was a genre defining fucking horror film back in the, the early 2000s and it's really solid still uh, some of the acting is dog shit Um but it's just in general the idea is so good and it's just some of it's really visceral some of it's really good and some of it you're kind of like fucking hell you could have done another take but they didn't they actually did everything in the first take so it makes a lot of sense why some of it is uh, a bit gammy plus you have some English and Australian people doing American accents so it was going to be a bit ropey anyway but it's still really fucking solid uh, and holds up big time uh, and then I watched the Saw short film which inspired it and it's basically the reverse bear trap scene again only uh, Leah Whannell who's actually the guy Adam chained to the bath and the main movie is in place of your one Amanda um, and it's it's grand it's, it shows the idea they had and it shows what they were capable of doing so I'm glad that they made it but there's some corny as fuck CGI at the end of it to the point where I was like this is embarrassing but still it was again it was an interesting idea it was a pitch movie basically and they did a fucking great job look at the fucking careers they've built out of it now especially Leah Waddell who's just gone on to do the Invisible Man, and he did, uh, what did he fucking do beforehand? He upgraded beforehand, which is deadly. Uh, then I watched The House by the Cemetery. Now, this is one I immediately know I want to watch again. 
Uh, it's a Lutra Fulci one. It's the ter- second part of the Gates of Hell trilogy, I think. Or is it the first? Yeah, I think it's the second part. And it uh, it didn't do much for me. There's parts in it where it's fucking really atmospheric and fucked up and gory and crazy. And there's other parts where it is a slog to get through. And it's just so daft. And I know you kind of expect that with Fulci stuff that it's going to be a bit all over the fucking shop, but some bits in this just annoy me. But I, I do think if I'm to watch the trilogy again, I'd like to watch City of Living Dead, House by Cemetery, and Beyond again. And Beyond obviously is the best of the three, I think. But I'd like to see the three of them together and see does that kind of make the atmosphere different for me. Uh, I watched The Meat Grinder, which is dog shit as well. I thought it was a different movie. Uh, there's this Indonesian or Thai movie, I can't remember what it is, and I remember hearing about it and it sounded fucked up and then I thought this was it and I watched it and it wasn't and it was crap. So boring and stupid and I wouldn't recommend it. Um, Outpost is a movie that should have been infinitely better. You have Ray Stevenson, you have... Um, I'm going to forget his name. Richard Brake and... I've other English people in my head I can't think of but basically or Michael Smiley's in it as well but you had this kind of who's who of people who were big in British cinema at the time in a movie basically where they find an outpost where Nazi zombie experiment things went went on and it just sounded so much more fun and gritty and it was shot on film too it looked like it was going to be nasty and fun and it was actually just boring and it was really stupid by the number scares and I was like this movie should have been infinitely better, but it wasn't. It was shite. Um, oh yeah, that was my bad fucking day. Or nearly bad day. Because I watched House of Cemetery, I didn't really like it. Then I watched The Meat Grinder, I thought it was shit. I watched Outpost. And then, fucking hell, one of the worst of the whole month. The Ward. The last John Carpenter film to come out. Please, somebody, give John Carpenter and Walter Hill some fucking money. So they can reclaim their status as the greats out there. And do something really good. Because Walter Hill can't go out on Tomboy. Or the assignment, whatever it's called, and John Carpenter can't go out on the ward because fucking hell, this movie is astonishingly bad, terribly written, terribly acted. It looks garbage. There's no scares. It's boring. The score is dog shit. He didn't even do the score for it. The whole thing is just unbelievably bad. Like I can't believe that this the guy who made the thing made this fucking film. Like that's it's beyond me. So avoid at all costs even if you're a completist don't put it in your collection i'd here's let me here's how bad it is i would rather watch ghosts of mars again which i hated at least i felt like a shit john carpenter film this is just not this you'd never in a billion years guess someone that talented is involved with this bollocks so someone give him money to do something good give him creative freedom don't just limit him and say we want you to do this and that give him money to do something on netflix let him shoot it on film if he can I just released something deadly and we need it we need a real John Carpenter film to come back out um, what else after that was Sputnik which is a Russian sci-fi horror film which is really strong for the first 50 or so minutes and then it becomes really really silly but it's still entertaining all the way through and some good special effects but it, it's my suspension of disbelief vanished in one scene uh, I watched the original Cat People which I've been to see for years I had the, the remake lined up but I never got around to it I will um, Cat People is fucking very solid but the, it's not the masterpiece I think people think it is it, it, lots of it didn't do much for me there's some clever ideas it's very well directed and the acting's good but it's kind of kind of just shrugged at the end of it kind of like eh, it didn't do much for me 
Uh, I watched some of the Masters of Horror stuff. I watched Dance of the Dead, uh, which is fairly shite. It was a Toby Hooper one. And it's just... Eh, just kind of tries to be this futuristic Mad Max sort of world with zombies and all kinds of crap and it just didn't do anything for me uh, Devil hell, was a lot better than I thought it would be I remember when that came out it looked like shit um, and it's basically five people trapped in a lift and one of them may or may not be the devil or there's some sort of entity around there and for all the clever writing and good acting there's just as much shitty acting and shit writing so it's it's a mix really when it's good, it's fucking really good. But when it's bad, it's fairly shite. Uh, but overall, I quite enjoyed it. So I, I, I don't want to put anyone off. I think it's a solid, well worth a watch film. But there are issues in it. And some of, the, some of the writing is crap. How they have just this one Hispanic character who he happens to notice something and goes, oh, this is that particular fucking devil character that we have in our, our country's lore. I'm like, for fuck's sake. What are the odds he's there to see that? Like, it, it just... It's crap writing. You see that in a lot of movies where they just have this is a foreign sounding thing, therefore it's more scary. It's like no, if they just had no clue, if they were just like, what the fuck is in this lift? What's trying to get us? It'd be so much more tense and scary than having a whole backstory about how this guy works. Oh, my grandmother told me this story when I was younger. Like it's fucking. We've seen it a billion times. It's just shy. Um, but like I said, overall the film's good. Lovely Molly, one I've been meaning to see for ages. Thought it was shite. Uh, thought it had some good ideas well wasted uh, yeah it's disturbing and it goes for a psychological horror aspect but it doesn't work I don't think I thought it was shit follow that up with one of the greatest fucking 80s horror films ever Videodrome absolutely love Videodrome and um, just would encourage everyone to fucking see it it's just so intelligent it was mostly uh, because I knew Possessor was coming out soon I said I have to fucking see this because Videodrome is class Um let me see. Oh yeah, The Iguana with the Tongue of Fire, which is an Italian Jallo movie set in Dublin in, what, 71 I think it was. The weirdest decision to set it there. I think most of the indoor stuff was in Rome, all the outdoor stuff was Dublin. It was cool to see old 70s Dublin. The movies are fucking shambles, did nothing for me at all. It's all over the fucking place. Uh, Unhinged is that one with Russell Crowe where he's basically got off the rails at Road Rage and decides to become a psychotic murderer. I had a lot of fun with it. It's pretty fucking stupid, but he's just eating the scenery, even though he's fucking eating everything else, clearly. And he is just going around acting a scumbag, so I appreciated that. Um, then I mentioned The Mind's Eye earlier, and Scanners, I rewatched the original Scanners, which is so fucking good. I loved it a lot more this time. I remember really liking it years ago, but for some reason, this just really clicked at me this time. I love it. It's just so fucking... It's a movie I just described as cool. It's just a fucking cool movie with crazy fucking action violent scenes in it. I, I just absolutely love it. Michael Lawrence, I just, I'd watch him do anything. He's deadly. Uh, I then watched another Masters of Horror, Jennifer, which I thought was fairly shit as well. It's a Dario Argento one. It feels like a TV movie. It feels cheap. and But it's strange because there's moments where it's horrifically fucking gory and fucked up. And there's some disturbing bits in it. And there's a lot of sex in it. But it kind of... It still feels like something that would be on the sci-fi channel or something. So it's a weird mix, but I, I I don't hate it. I just think it's fairly shite. It didn't do much for me at all. Um, after that, I watched Boy Meets Girl, which was a movie banned for several years in England. I don't really know why. It's fairly crap. Uh, it's about this girl, guy who gets picked up by a girl in a bar, and she basically decides to torture him in her, in her house. But... 
it's like it tried to have really cool and slick dialogue and tried to do something really unique and it, it feels like a cheap indie movie from England back in the 90s which is exactly what it is but it didn't leave much of an impression I, mean, I was just kind of sitting there going this is a bit boring this is a bit fucking stupid there's so many opportunities for him to get away he doesn't take there are moments that are quite smart in it and there's some dark stuff for sure but overall it's just ugh, the acting's shit too um, then I watched Scanners 2 which I got Scanners 2 and 3 in head when they were still open and I think they only need 3 quid each but I said I'll fucking pick them up because I knew I was going to get Scanners 1 and they're in the same kind of art box and they're basically part of that same second side collection so I said I'll start the collection in reverse finally got Scanners 1 so I watched it again loved it watched Scanners 2 it's definitely flawed and it's nowhere near as good as the first but it's a fucking solid fucking sci-fi actioner and there's some really dark bits there's some very scenery chewing over the top scenes um but the action scenes and the, the gore effects are fucking really strong in it. It was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Um, if you're, comp- It's a good companion to the first one. If you're comparing them, obviously the first is miles ahead of it. But it's a very solid sequel. Uh, then I watched Satan, or Satan as it's called. Which is a crazy French horror film with Vincent Cassel. And it reminded me a lot of Calvaire, or The Ordeal it's called. And that was a fucking really unnerving, fucked up, bleak miserable dramatic horror this is like that with a crazy texas chainsaw massacre over the top feel to it and it's kind of a dark comedy but i was just bet into it it just it has no fear how dark it can get while still trying to be funny and it's just crazy and i i, I don't even know where to start with it but vincent cassell is a loony in it and it's a lot of fun watching him just go balls to the wall with that role um all right what's next mandy I've talked about Mandy in great detail already. It was one of my favourites of the decade. It was number three, I think, in my top 100 of the decade. I love this film a lot. And getting to see it on the fucking 4K OLED TV was something else entirely. It's incredible looking. Brilliantly acted. Cage is almost at his best in it. And it's just dripping with atmosphere. It's fucking brilliant. And I I, I would implore anyone who wasn't sure about it the first time to give it another go. Because it's fucking glass. I then followed that up with A Cat in the Brain, which is uh, one of Lucio Fulci's last ones. And if you can imagine the film Eight and a Half, Fellini's Eight and a Half, but it's about a horror director who isn't sure if he's actually killing people or not. And his therapist is convincing him that he is killing people while he goes out and kills people and he gets the blame for it. And that's that's what you have here and it sounds a lot more fun than it actually is because it's basically Lucio Fulci walking in on scenes from movies that he was involved in the last couple of years and just talking about them while he's at them and there's nothing really happens in it there's loads of out of context strange sometimes shit looking gore scenes sometimes good looking gore scenes but it doesn't make much sense but the reason I actually have this movie was a mistake because I ordered a Cannibal Ferrex online and that's actually on the way to me now it should be and they accidentally sent me Cat in the Brain. So they obviously saw it was next to it. And I was like, for fuck's sake. But um, not all hope is all. So I finally got to watch this movie in the best way I could. And I'm going to trade it for something else. So, and I've kind of a Ferrex on the way still. So it's a, it's an ultra win. Cold Light of Day is one that Arrow released. I'd never heard of it before. Um, until they brought it out. Or until they announced it and it's based on a serial killer i heard of years ago called dennis nielsen and um it's basically about his 
life at this stage and when he was doing the killings. Oh, it's based on someone exactly like him. It's not quite him. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty fucking ugly, bleak shit. It kind of reminds me of that one Tony that came out a few years ago with uh, oh, I Peter Ferdinando's in it, but I can't remember the guy who directed it. He did Hyena as well, which is fucking class. But, um, yeah, the, the, the Arrow, but I love the Arrow release of it, though. The box is because uh, Ness Nielsen was known for hiding bodies and pipes under his floorboards and all this kind of shit um, but it's the floorboards of a house and when you slide the box open it's full of body parts and it's very very well done um, Scanners 3 Jesus Christ I could not fucking believe my eyes Sc- the, like I said Scanners 2 was a lot of fun I can't remember the director but it's the same director as this third one this one, even though they both came out around the same time, I think they were shot the same time, this one feels like a different movie, looks different, feels like a cheap, shitty TV movie, with abysmal special effects, crap acting, like really terrible acting. I think it, the girl in it who's the lead is like the director's wife, and it was just a nepotism thing, dog shit. Um, absolutely unwatchably bad fucking performance, and I want to get rid of that film. I don't care if I don't have the collection to get it. I don't want that in my collection. It's so shit. Um, it just doesn't. It just contradicts the other movies. It doesn't make sense. Um, not many left here. Um, Dead of Winter. I watched after that. That was really solid. Um, it's more of a thriller, but it's a bizarre kind of horror as well. A really interesting, odd sort of uh, old-fashioned, almost more story, but really strange and creepy. And it's what's her face? Uh, oh, I can't think of her name now. Mary Steenburgen. Or Virgin, whatever you say her name, but uh, yeah, it's interesting to see her in a horror role. Um, Visiting Hours, I fucking loved. I'd watched a few Canadian horrors actually, this is one of them, but I'd only heard about it years ago. I knew it was a video nasty, I don't know why it shouldn't really be, but I didn't know anything about it. So when I put it on, not only did I discover it has a similar plot to Halloween 2, which I really like, um, but William Shatner's in it, and Michael Ironside again. Michael Ironside is a scumbag misogynist serial killer who just goes after women on uh, talk shows and he's just a dirtbag and it's so fucking fun to watch uh, immediately went out and picked up the Blu-ray afterwards I, I, I loved it same with The Gate actually um, Sweeney Todd not the the one with um, what's his fucking name Johnny Depp this is one Ray Winston and it was a TV movie but it's a pretty bleak dark more realistic TV movie with a good cast as a whole who's who of British actors in it. The likes of Tom Hardy show up, and uh, I can't remember his name. He's in Game of Thrones. He's the fucker at the Red Wedding. <laughs> he's in loads of stuff though. He's he's what's his face as our lad in in Afterlife as well. But uh, yeah, solid cast, solid production, and it's, it was a director's cut too. I'm not sure if the TV version was as kind of as brutal as this, but uh, yeah, quite solid. Very interesting to see it done in a more serious way rather than the kind of Tim Burton musical version. Uh, finally got around. This is the movie I initially wanted to start off my heart on viewing because I always like to start off with a classic um, but I finally got around to watching The Haunting the original one which it turns out is The Haunting of Hill House that's what The Haunting is based or Haunting of Hill House is based off the original Haunting story um, and fucking hell this is one of the best horrors I've watched in a long time it's one of the best horrors of the 60s without a doubt amazing performances brilliant dialogue savage special effects the set design is amazing it's really creative, clever, and more chilling than it is scary. It's just fucking so effective and well done. And it's up there at one of the best I've seen now, so definitely watch that. I rewatched Suspiria because I finally got to watch the Synapse remaster of it, which is the best it will ever look. 
and fucking hell, watching that on the OLED TV is just something to absolutely marvel at. How I may really just watching it again, even ten minutes in, I was just questioning how the fuck did Dario Argento get away with this? Because all right, I love Deep Red; it's class. Bird with the crystal, uh, bird with the crystal plumage, very solid. I I I really like opera despite its flaws. Um, what the fuck is that other one called now? Uh, phenomena I didn't love. There's parts of it are really good, parts didn't really like. But overall, it's not bad, but he's got some creativity there. Inferno I quite like, which is a sequel to this, even though it's a mess as well. All these movies that he does afterwards are they have so much going for them but they don't quite hit the mark deep red probably does that's probably his best next to Suspiria. how he pulled this movie off is beyond me it is mind-blowing just visually the effects in it the music in it the atmosphere to it how he just thought of and pulled off half of this shit and it's probably the most insane use of color you'll ever see in a fucking movie it's just incredible how he fucking did it and uh, it made me respect him more, but also maybe more disappointed that he never fucking reached that height again. Um, looking at the time here, I'm not going to go through the fucking Blu-rays. I'm going to do that in the next episode, which I'm going to fucking do soon. I'm going to make myself do it soon because it's bullshit that I keep fucking letting this go. It only takes a fucking hour of my time. Um, though I don't know if I even have time to fucking review some of the new shit I saw. I saw. Eh. I'll go. I'll be very quick with them. I'm going to just fly to the rest of these now. So I watched the Untamed. Which is uh, a Mexican director, if I'm right. But it's the guy who did that movie, Heli, from a few years ago. Which is a really bleak drama film about uh, people getting caught up with the cartel. And it's kind of... I don't love it. I think there's really good stuff in it. But it's a bit dreary and it just didn't do much for me. This was a lot better. It's a really... If you take the movie Possession and got rid of the crazy over-the-top scenery-chewing action. Or sorry, uh, dialogue. Uh, acting that was the word I was trying to go for um, and the more fantastical elements I made it a really serious bleak movie this is what you get here it's really well done really well acted and it's ugly and bleak but really solid and it's filth as well so if that's what you're in for that's what you get uh, this is not filth but it's called Suck and um, surprisingly it didn't suck this is a movie I would have fucking loved if I saw it when it came out. This came out 11 years ago. And if I saw it back then, I probably would have had a huge soft spot for it. Watching it now, I was like, eh, it's okay. There's some funny bits. There's bits where I'm like, that's shit comedy. There's a lot of cameos in the likes of Iggy Pop and um, Alice Cooper and other kind of... And the guy from Rush, Alex, what's his face? Loads of like, kind of rock cameos. Even Moby's in it. I actually quite like Moby's cameo. Because uh, he's this punk rocker called Meat. And his stage show is him covering himself in animals' blood and eating meat. Even though he's the biggest vegan sap in the world. Um, and Henry Rollins in it as well. There's like a lot of people. There's a, it, it's a fun, very cheap Canadian vampire comedy. It's uh, not nearly as funny as it should be. I hate Dave Foley. He shows up in it. His face pisses me off to insane levels. Um... But it's it's solid. It's worth a look. It's not you're not gonna find something belly laugh worthy, um. But it's enjoyable. It's a really inoffensive romp, and it was basically background noise, so it, it it's perfect for that. Uh, after that, then with the the horathon, I only got to see one from it, which was Violence Voyager, which is really unique, a bizarre Japanese animated movie, but it's animated with this particular style. I don't remember the name of it. 
where it's effectively paper. Not like South Park. It's really detailed drawings that they move around like it's like you're playing with toys, like it's puppets. You don't see the hands, obviously. But it's really unique, really strange, and very fucking gory. Like, the shit that happens to kids in this movie is fucked. Um, but really, really unique. Something I haven't seen before, so I thought that was really good. Uh, phase 4, which is a horror film, but it really it was just an amazing visual display from Saul Bass. It was his only ever movie. He did a lot of short films as well. But you know him for doing opening title sequences for movies, mostly Hitchcock stuff. And this movie's about these guys who are trapped basically surrounded by ultra intelligent ants uh which are possibly going to take over the world and it's really fucking interesting and strange very dialogue heavy very 70s i really enjoyed it what i will say though what's annoying about the release i got the limited edition version of it from uh, 101 films and it's a lovely set and everything else great artwork and all this but it has the option for the original Saw Bass ending, which was never going to go by the producers because it's bleak, crazy, insane visual ending. And I loved it. I watched that ending and I thought, this is so much better than the one that they actually give you in the movie. But it doesn't give you an option to actually watch just that director's cut with that ending reinserted. It's a separate feature, which is unfortunate because that director's cut would be a much better film. The film anyway is good, but it's a much better director's cut. Um... Oh, this was a real... This left a shit taste in my mouth. Right. I Saw the Devil is one of my favourite Korean action horror movies. It's fucking insane. And I loved it. I watched it again. Because my brother hadn't seen it. I said, I'm going to watch it and let him see it. And they fucking... The version they released in the UK, right? So it had an issue, right? In Korea, they released the regular Korean version... Which was cut. They cut a lot of the violence down. They added a sex scene in. Which was unnecessary. But they cut most of the violence down. It's still pretty brutal. But that goes to show how much violence they cut out of it. And they they, they took any hint of cannibalism out of it. There's a scene involving two people. Where they, they talk about eating people. And it's removed. The international version. Which is the worldwide version. Is the uncut one. Which is way more brutal. Vicious. Violent. And involves the cannibalism. And it's a much better version. The version they submitted in the UK was the Korean one. So it was passed uncut, which it was, but it's not the uncut version of the film. And I would expect it to be the international version because it's not in Korea. But no, they have the bullshit version on Blu-ray over here. If you have I Saw the Devil on Blu-ray, snap the disc in half and piss all over it and throw it out because it's not worth having. You need to find an uncut version. Hopefully they release a proper uncut version. Otherwise you're going to have to get the American version. Or some version from somewhere. I think Nova Media had a, a version that's uncut. And it's a big savage edition. But they, they're probably out of print. But fucking hell. Once I discovered that was the cut version. I was just disgusted. It, it, it got rid of so much of the most insane scenes. And I, I feel like that. Uh, like I said my brother was watching it. He didn't get the, the, the real version of the movie. So it's unfortunate. Uh. I then watched Maniac Cop 2 because I saw the first one years ago and I enjoyed it and this one I wanted to see it because I like Robert Davi and I just wanted something crazy and this looked like a more action-packed insane movie so I said fuck it I'm going for that and it's exactly what it was it's mad over-the-top action with loads of fucking bloody shootouts and mad stuff and Robert Davi's actually playing a pretty serious good cop in it which was interesting too because he usually kind of plays like sleazy scumbag criminals and to see him do something different was nice um but yeah, it's, uh, I actually had a lot more fun with this one than I did the, the first. Even though the first one's probably a better story, this one's just better in the action sense. So it's 
a good double bear really. I haven't seen the third one though, but I heard it involves voodoo. Um, Soul Survivor, I'm going to be honest. I wasn't mad on it and I fell asleep watching it and I woke up and I finished it. But I, I, something about it didn't grab me. I almost feel like I want to watch it again because what I did watch, I was like, eh, this is a bit, eh, and then I passed out. So I was like, okay, I had to rewind that. Finished it off and I was more just finishing it to finish it rather than enjoying it because it just wasn't doing it for me. But I like the atmosphere of it. I like 80s horrors anyway, but this one's a bit more supernatural and strange with sort of premonitions and stuff like that. And it just, ugh, I don't know, it didn't grab me. But I think if I, I might give it another another go because I didn't really see it the way I should have seen it. But it was not grabbing me when I when I did watch it. Uh, then, as I mentioned earlier, Possessor, Brandon Cronenberg's new movie. Fucking brilliant. And I don't want to actually say much about this at all. I just need... It's important that it's seen uncut. Because... It's basically going to get an NC-17 rating. Or it already nearly did. But they were just like, we're going to release it unrated. Because the cut version of the film, I imagine, is nowhere near as good. This one has full graphic sex. Br- I'm talking the nastiest violence I've seen in a movie in a long time. There's some brutal as fuck stuff. With amazing practical effects really interesting sci-fi story and this thing it's not just the gore and the sex it's a really fucking mean-spirited dark sci-fi thriller and uh it just has no fear where it'll go it's a it's a gut punch movie and i fucking love that andrea reisberg's in it and uh god i'm not gonna think of his name no i always think he's brilliant uh christopher abbott he's fucking excellent so the two of them and sean beans in it as well really fucking solid highly 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 recommend it and his last movie antiviral which is brilliant too Jeez, me throat. Fucking drier than a nun's arse. And finally, the last thing I watched. So I only got to 74. Because uh, that last week of um, October, I was just kind of burnt out at that stage. So I was like, oh, fuck it. I'll, I'll just see how many I get. I wanted to beat 82 because I did that with no job. So 74 with a job, I'm still quite happy with. Um but I decided I wanted to finish off on something really Halloween-y. Now, I had watched Halloween the first one a few years ago. I was like, I don't want to watch it again. I'm going to watch Halloween 2 again because I hadn't seen that in years. And I love Halloween 2. Do I still love Halloween 2? Not as much. I didn't get enough water the first time there. Um, on a rewatch, it's a lot slower and more boring than I remembered. But I still actually really fucking enjoy it. It's really solid. It's a good, gory slasher. Is totally within the atmosphere of the first film. It's almost crazy how well they captured that atmosphere. Um, from the first movie. Because it takes place minutes after it. So. It's just really impressive. But. Uh, I wish John Carpenter actually directed it himself. We would have added a lot more to it. But it has all the elements. It has all the same writers. Same score. Uh, Dean Cundy doing the cinematography. Same cast. It's just something much newer. Goes in sort of silly direction. But uh, overall. Really enjoyable. So. That uh, that was my entire October worth of horror viewing, which uh, I definitely took longer than I expected to do. How long was I? Yeah, I was probably talking for about fucking 20 minutes longer than I intended to. But it just wouldn't really be one of my fucking podcasts if I didn't go on a tangent for a stupid amount of time. Um, But yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna leave the fucking Blu-rays to the next time because I do have a pile coming next, hopefully within this week. So I'll talk about all of them then. I might just make the whole episode about that. Which might bore the arse off a lot of you, but fucking, you chose to listen to it. Um, I do need to make more note of shit that actually happened within the industry. Because I, I, I'm, I'm going to do a very brief rundown of uh, just the new stuff I saw as well. So I rewatched Bora because Bora 2 came out. And 
here's the thing with Borat the first one the first one holds up so well I was pissed myself laughing at it even just everyone remembers the naked fight scene with Borat and the other guy and that still actually had near tears running down my face because the fact that he's it's just how fast he's chasing him just caught me just they're so committed like they're not nervous like kind of running around like in Jackass they might be in the nip running through somewhere but they'd be a bit like oh geez everyone's gonna see this they just commit so hard to running after each other and paying no attention to the other people around them it just it just fucking broke me up but in general that film is about 85% legit and about 15% is either the story which is a script or uh, the people weren't as not in on it as they made it sound some people were not in on it and they got in fucking oh no sorry they were more in on it I should say um, but people were oh hang on how do I put that 15% of it is non-legit is what I'm trying to say um, whereas this one obviously because he's so popular he's back in America with the popularity of the last film everyone knows who Borat is so he has to disguise himself and they obviously won't have as many opportunities to do crazy shit. So I'd say it's about 60-40. I'd say 60% of it's legit because there is some clear awkward scenarios they get into that are not scripted. And then there's other scenarios where it's like they they have to have been scripted. There's no way it comes together. There's also there's this whole controversy at Rudy Giuliani and a sketch they have at the end. And the way I see it is it's creepy but you can do a lot with editing this is the thing like the, the, I, th- I think he's being a weirdo but the, there's a lot of it where his mouth's obscured and he's saying things and it's like that stuff he probably said earlier in the interview they're throwing in there just to add creepiness to it and i, I won't say anything about it because i don't want to spoil people who've watched it but even though i do find it odd i it does seem a little bit manipulated uh but overall it's actually quite funny so it's well worth a look uh, and it's on amazon prime if you have it so but if it comes out buy it if you want to actually own it um another streaming one is the trial of chicago 7 which is another sasha baron cohen related movie based on this real trial that happened in the 70s or no sorry late 60s um where it was believed a bunch of protesters potentially incited a riot and it's about the court case involved with them and there's a great cast aaron sorkin's screen or screenplay and his direction and just a top quality class eddie redmayne who does a fucking brilliant American accent and it's probably the best thing I've seen him in a while because he tends to annoy me um, Mark Rylance phenomenal as always Sasha Baron Cohen is brilliant and he's more the comic relief but he's still quite serious um, I can't even remember that guy's name now but he's in Zodiac <laughs> and he directed uh, The Founder fuck I can't think of his name yeah, he's brilliant in it anyway whatever the fuck his name is Jeremy Strong's in it as well playing a bit more of a laid back character than his usual miserable prick character from uh, Succession um, and then you have Frank Langella who plays a judge and fucking hell that chap's usually so delightful and wholesome and he's such a prick in this movie um, so that was unexpected to see him as such an asshole and very effective because um, I think if you can make me hate you as a character if I, if I like you and other stuff then you're doing something really right um, but overall I mean I love courtroom dramas as is they're always riveting they're always thrilling this one is a subject I didn't know much about, so I don't know how accurate it is. But overall, it was hugely entertaining. Great score, great sound, or sorry, great soundtrack. Uh, brilliantly made, and 
it just goes to show how fucking scummy. Uh, oh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's in it as well. Shit. I don't know why I forgot him, but yeah, it's a it's it's a fucking brilliant film. Highly recommend, it. and it's on Netflix as well. Whether that gets a physical release, I have no idea. Same with Bora. Uh, and the last two I'm going to talk about are just documentaries. Um, one of them I think is technically 2018, but it's I think it's the first time it's only been released now, and it's a uh, category three: the untold story of Hong Kong exploitation cinema. I can nearly do a whole podcast on this. Um. Basically, I, I talked before about Ebola Syndrome and The Untold Story. And The Untold Story Blu-ray, which I got from America there, has this documentary on it. And I've been wanting to see this for ages now because Category 3 is a very specific certificate given to movies in Hong Kong back in the day. And that's when they were just the craziest movies with violent sex and just boundless gore and whatever else. Up until 1997 before this Hong Kong, China, mainland China handover thing, I, I don't fully understand the politics behind it they kind of gloss over it in the documentary but really up until 97 they had free reign to do anything in these movies and i some of the stuff that's in the untold story is the most shocking insane stuff i've ever seen andy Bala syndrome the stuff that would never in a billion years fly today so i'm very interested in what the other category three movies are like so this kind of gives a breakdown of them and how the rating got there and it's good it's well worth a look at it it opens your eyes to a few more movies I might not have heard of, but it feels, while it gives a lot of information, it also feels like it doesn't really give a lot at the same time. It just feels a bit like they're repeating themselves, or it doesn't really go in-depth into the movies, which is unfortunate. Um, but yeah, it's fucking, it's it's very, very solid. And it's it's a good extra to have on that movie, because I think Untold Story is considered to be the staple of the crazy category three movies there are other movies out there that have the rating that don't deserve it which they go into in the movie but this one is really insane so it's a nice extra to have and finally this was actually at the ifi horathon online but it's also been released through arrow streaming service and arrow are going to do a blu-ray of this down the line most likely but it's called el duce tapes and i saw hated the Gigi allen story i think it's called um which Todd Phillips made in 93 about Gigi Allen, this scumbag asshole sort of punk singer who, like, on stage he'd hit people and piss at them, shit at them, try rape them. He was a big, like, pro-rape, pro-scumbag. Just He's just one of the worst pieces of shit ever. And uh, he thankfully died of a heroin overdose. Um, but Todd Phillips got to hang around with him for a couple of years and got to basically just do a whole biography of his life. And... Uh, He's just a, a through-and-through scumbag with no redeeming features whatsoever. This El Duce guy is on the same wavelength where he had a genre of punk called rape rock and he was just a scumbag and would purposely troll and say inflammatory shit just to be as offensive and shocking as possible in the name of entertainment. That's where he differs from Gigi Allen because Gigi Allen seems to really believe all this whereas El Duce, he says some seriously misogynistic fucked-up shit but I, like he... he doesn't come off as an actual racist he doesn't come off as someone who actually likes rape he doesn't come off as someone who like is ultra discriminatory outside of getting shock value and when you hear about his whole life story it just makes it all the more it's a really bleak just depressing documentary it's not like you're watching the hated documentary of Gigi Allen being like this is an insight to what a scumbag this guy is and you just get to watch him be crazy for 90 minutes this you're just watching a really bleak portrayal of someone who's a violently abusive alcoholic. So, sorry, he violently abuses alcohol. He's actually not abusive. He doesn't really fight anyone. He doesn't argue with anyone. 
he just says offensive shit and you can tell he's ultra depressed and it's just it's really miserable i still think the guy's a piece of shit like some of the stuff he does do is dickheaded um but this is a very different example where you got to really see why he ended up that way whereas someone like Gigi allen is just a scumbag so i kind of put this on expecting another Gigi allen documentary but all i got was a far more bleak somber depressing documentary than expected but it is very good it's worth a look it does kind of dip in the middle but it's uh the whole thing is actually entirely shot in in the early 90s because the guy who started recording all this would interview the bandmates and his family and people around him and he actually just made this documentary but it just went into storage for near 30 years so it's pretty cool that it was actually made around then and it's, it's a lot more interesting but it's uh it's not exactly pleasant viewing but that's the way it is um I don't know what I'm going to title this episode. I, t- I tend to title things uh, based on things I might have said in them or what they're about. But I just... Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll talk about the horror time. Who the fuck knows. But you got this far. Way longer than I expected. I want to do this only an hour. But thanks for listening. As always, I hope you had the best time of your life. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'm exhausted. I haven't done this in a while. But yeah, thanks for listening. You're all cunts. And uh, the next time I will talk to you will be about probably about blu-rays and i'm gonna start expanding on those new podcast ideas and hopefully getting guests soon so don't hold me to any of that see you later